is a proud sponsor of Martin Luther King and the Rib Sandwiches, which also drop on Martin Luther King Day. Celebrating Black 365, McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm loving it. What's going on, everybody? Hope everything is going well. As usual, this is your boy, Jesse McCoy, and I'm joined by the world's foremost legal humorist, Sean Carter. How are you doing? I'm doing well, brother. Well, so it's, this was a big uh, MLK weekend. Absolutely. Um, a couple of things. We um, had spent the first part of the weekend, I guess, arguing about uh, whether the little white boy um, was... <laughs> <laughs> That's what killed me, though, the entire Dr. King weekend. Right, we we. I didn't even get to see the I Have a Dream speech. Right, I didn't get to see none of that. It was just little white boy and whether he should have been smirking at the at the, at the Native American uh, elder, and whether right. that guy should have slapped the shadow of little white boy, which is really what should have happened to save us a whole weekend. Well, I had missed the whole news story when it broke, so I get home and of course I'm watching the little CNN highlights, and I see the the elder playing the drum in this boy's face. And I was like, man, it's so good to see conflicts between other minority groups and white people <laughs> that have absolutely nothing to do with black people. This is great. Then I saw the boy's mom talking about, it was the black people. <laughs> so what is going on? How are we? We weren't even involved. Then I found out it was in D.C. Then I found out about the black Israelites. Then I heard the audio <laughs> Almost had it, man. Almost had it. But, um, you know, it, it was a very interesting display from was this Covington Catholic school who is now being paraded around by the Trump administration as, you know, lily white victims <laughs> of the media's rush to judgment. Um, despite the blackface uh, pictures from, from them at the basketball game. But uh, anyway... <laughs> Um, and this kid is going to be a freaking celebrity now, uh, all because to some, he stood up to adversity. Mm. To others, he was being a jerk. <laughs> well, no. and here's the thing about it. I saw, I saw a little interview with Susanna Guthrie, Guthrie, and I knew it wasn't going to be hard hitting because this is the same woman who sat there seven years with Matt Lair. And Matt Lair basically <laughs> didn't wear no draws for seven years, and, and nobody seemed to notice. So I don't know what kind of hard-hitting investigative journalist she is, but I knew the question was going to be uh, soft, shall we say. And what got me about it was he was like, I had a right to be there. And I was like, boy, you 14, 15, you ain't got a right to do nothing. You, I, went, I, I, I didn't get a right to do nothing, in, according to my father, until I got my first job. And I don't mean by like part time. I mean full time job with a W two and an office and a business card. I was twenty five before, before I had a right to do any damn thing. What the hell are you talking about? You ain't got no damn rights at fifteen. Oh man, I the, the hard part for me, man, particularly for those of us who grew up in black culture, mm. there are so many rule violations mm. in that small clip. You know, first of all, if you're a teenager, 
you stay out of grown folks' business and you damn sure stay out of grown folks' face, right? So that's the first thing. When, well, when well, how many you times did you hear growing up, grown folks are talking here? Right. <laughs> right. You weren't supposed to be in the conversation. Not supposed to be in it. And then on top of that, it's a senior. So you're even before you can get to the race, mm-hmm. point, any senior, no matter what your race is, mm-hmm. if you got caught disrespecting that senior, yeah. that was your ass when you got home. That was just the way that oh, no, 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 no. What do you mean when you got home? You must have been raised <laughs> That was your ass there. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and it didn't matter where you were, church, and Jesus wasn't going to help right. you in church. You were going to get with me anywhere you were. All right. And these kids are sitting there, like, exactly, like looking at a grown man in his face and smirking. Ooh. And then got to apologize after you get beat in front of them. <laughs> but, Ooh. you know, and then, so, so that's the, the age part. Mm-hmm. The second part of it is this guy, um, Obviously, there's always going to be this dynamic of a group of representative of a marginalized population versus whiteness. And it's not just white. This is a whole field trip <laughs> work of students, for some reason, coming to D.C. to rock Trump hats and talk about pro-life issues. Uh, I don't know what kind of school this is. I'm not sure if that's part of the science curriculum at Covington Catholic School or what. Uh, but they do all of this, and then they immediately get there. And whatever stuff goes haywire. So the rule, the 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 rumor here is they have said something to some black Israelites, black Israelites who have never been known to be bashful, <laughs> decided to take them up on that offer and uh, and and have some commentary, spicy commentary of their own. And somehow, uh, a Native American elder. Is involved in trying to, I guess, pacify he to the two sides, right? He figured he would yeah. you know, come in there and try to keep him, you know, from, you know. And, and, and here's the thing: is, is that you know, bless his heart. But I would, he had to worry about de-escalating because uh, those white boys uh, aren't, aren't that privileged and entitled. <laughs> yeah. I, I've been black most of my entire life, and uh, I would have been like, "Yes, sir." No, sir, Mr. Black Israelite. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, I promise I'm not eating no more bacon and ham. Right? I'd have thrown, my, I'd have thrown, I'd have thrown down my, 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 my McDLT right in the damn street. Like, you know, I ain't that. I wouldn't eat that. I wouldn't eat that bacon. Well, you know, and, and, and it's funny because now I think the Black Israelites are getting this, this broad brush painted <laughs> over them about, you know, who they are and how aggressive they are and their tactics and all that stuff. But it's not that these kids are necessarily heroes who stood up to any kind of adversary. These these are people who were jeering back and forth and who decided to mix it up amongst themselves. What's funny to me is, you you know, I've always wondered, maybe this is wrong, but I've always wondered, where do Native Americans stand in this epic battle between white people and black people to figure out who should have rights and who shouldn't? Where do Native Americans stand? And it was so powerful to me to see this guy beating the drum in the name of peace right. in between the two factions, not picking a side. I like that. I like that. He's like, look, I just want people to get along. I need y'all to listen to the drum, calm down, whatever. I don't think the drum was well received. I think by the time everything had finished, the things had gotten bunched up. Um, I was waiting on him to pull a drum line, pull Nick Cannon from drum line and uh, bop, bop the dude on the head or do something. But uh, <laughs> but apparently, you know, he has better sense than me. And then, of course, he talks in his own interview about the degree of fear that he felt in that immediate situation. Uh, and I can see that, too. I can see if, you know, if, if black people and white people in the midst of fighting, it's very dangerous to get involved in <laughs> In the middle of that, when someone's getting ready to pop off, <laughs> you know. But I think, I'm, but that's the thing that's, that's amazing to me, though, about these kids. So, I, you know, and I don't know who started it. Whether you know the Black Israelites might understand one, you know, scenario I heard was that you know the, the Black Israelites were basically calling out the two or three brothers that were with Cousin right. Captain. Like, hey, you know, what you you were the wrong squad, you know. And, and by the way, I think he, they they were right. But the point is, though, is this <laughs> is. At that age, you stand up, you know, and you know, be going, you know, toe to toe, eye to eye, or chant to chant, or whatever, with grown men. 
you know, I know it was 150 of them against four. Um, but, uh, cause I think they're only six black Israelites, period. But, um, and two of them, you know, had to go to work. But the point is, though, is, uh, you know, 200 white boys against four black Israelites. Yeah, that's, that's a fair fight. Uh, I, I'm, 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 I'm got my money on the black Israelites. And I, I, I just, at that age, you know, I have been near grown men. And, uh, that's not, that, that's not something I ever was going to step to. Absolutely, man. I, I think there are certain subcultures of blackness, and I'm, I'm not sure that white people are familiar with these uh, subcultures, but there are certain cultures of, of, of blackness that you should never uh, <laughs> engage in. Um, and, and, you know, some, for instance, Na- Nation of Islam. You you probably don't want to go over there being disrespectful at the mosque. You don't want to no, do that. I, I, I that. Yeah, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> it's probably not going to work. Black Israelites or five percenters or whatever people are called nowadays. You don't want to mess with them. And of course, if you are in California, particularly Southern California, and anyone has color <laughs> coordinated, <laughs> you, probably don't want to, you probably don't want to be involved in that, right? They are part of our larger Black organization, but we have many different voices that come together to form the harmony that is Black. <laughs> and... <laughs> So, you know, and, and I think what's interesting to me is this this kind of shows you, I mean, we knew it was going to promote this kid and people are going to exploit the privilege that this kid now is going to have and all that stuff. But I think it kind of shows us where as a nation, everything stands right now. We've got a, a government that is not operable. We've got a president under investigation whose attorney doesn't even care about trying to, to keep up the lie anymore. He's just like, oh, I said no collusion. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say no collusion. I mean, it's such a <laughs> I, I said no collusion between Trump, not his kids or, right. or, or, or his daughter. I'm just like, damn, you sound like the whole family. Everybody's going to go to jail, but, but right. Trump. And, and what's funny is this is all on a backdrop of Martin Luther King. So some of the same people, such as Representative Steve King from Iowa, are... <laughs> People who are clearly racist and have made no qualms about being racist are going to have the unmitigated gall to cite whatever their favorite Martin Luther King uh, verse, lyric, whatever is on their Twitter pages and everything as if to seem like they are somehow in solidarity with everything that Dr. King stood for. When in actuality, you were one of the people throwing bricks at him when he was marching through your city. Did you see the brother? There's a brother in Tennessee. I'm going to look for his name while, while I'm telling you this. But the, he's, this weekend, Dr. King's or the Dr. King's ceremony and the governor of Tennessee came to his church. And the pastor um, cursed out the governor to his face. Um, and I shouldn't say that. Let me see the Reverend. What's the Reverend's name? And you've seen this brother. This brother is the kind of uh, heavy brother who was at the Democratic National uh, Convention. William Barber. Uh, uh, yeah, that, I used to work for him. There you go, right? So, yeah. so basically, the governor came was like, "Oh yeah, I love me some, you know, Martin Luther King." And Governor Bill Lee, and so he got up there and said, "Look, uh, everybody." Who believes in healthcare and a universal right to healthcare, uh, stand, you know, up. And of course, everybody stand up but the governor. And he was like, uh, where you sit is where you sit. Oh, and basically <laughs> said, you know, to his face, like, oh man. Uh, that, that brother, that brother's bold. And so the bottom line, though, is that, um, you know, it, it was a weird King weekend. I think I want to do over. And I, you know, I had high hopes for this weekend. Now, what I did see, which is positive, is I didn't see on my Facebook feed, did you see any on your feed, anybody who turned uh, Dr. King into Rodney King? No, but I did see uh, Trump in a two-minute appearance at, at, the, at the Martin Luther King Memorial. That, that, that is, that Just is long true. enough to talk about border control. <laughs> long enough to talk about border control, but then he wasn't there that long. It was cold. And, and the, right. thing that, but the thing that got me is every year, you know, there's this, there's this Rodney Kingification where they basically turn Martin Luther King into a guy who just wanted his four children 
to play with some four little white kids. Right. And mm-hmm. and I'm like, really? That's what it was about? He just wanted to be able to play with your kids. Uh, your kids are that damn special. Right? Anybody want to play with your, right. your, your goofy kids? All right. He was trying to get some freedom and equality and trying to get black people getting killed. Same kind of stuff we're dealing with dealing with now. And so mm-hmm. I was I was I was pleased that, you know, people were when they came through with the Dr. King quotes, it wasn't, can we all get along? Right. Yeah. You know, and one of the quotes, you know, that I posted um, was a quote where Dr. King had, had told Harry Belafonte, I fear I may have in- integrated my people into a burning building. Mm. And so it started this big conversation that we're going to talk about now on integration and whether mm-hmm. integration as a whole was a good thing for. And this the thing is. As a whole for black people, we understand that many, many black people, millions of, of us have benefited uh, from integration. You work for Duke now. I make every check that's almost handed me is, is some white person handed me a check. Uh, integration and in the terms of Saturday Night Live has been very, very good to me. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you and many people we know. But a lot of people are starting to see it. I did a poll on it. And the crazy thing is 70% of my, um, you know, my, my scientific poll, uh, said that black people thought that integration actually as a whole was a net negative, not necessarily to them, but to a lot of the community, um, that did not benefit and that we have this stratification between the black haves and the black half nots. I think the best example of that is the Chris Rock, right? Black people versus N words routine. Okay. Where he talked about that stratification between two different types of black people and whether that's right. good for the black community. You, on the other hand, had a much, um, and I liked your view, um, on integration that, that was a lot more positive. You were in the 30%. So, so I'm always going to be a big proponent of integration. And I will tell you why. I think in 2019, people have a tendency to glamorize segregation mm-hmm. and forget the most important piece of segregation which is the inherent fear. So now we currently fear what will happen if police encounter us. Right. But imagine if you had a fear that any day, mm. the, anybody, anybody could kill you. Doesn't have to be a police officer. It could be a school teacher. It could be a cab driver. It could be a bus driver. It, it could be anybody. And not only could they kill you, they could come in your house. They could beat you and your wife and your kids up. <laughs> they could do whatever they want to do to you. If you fought them back, you caught a criminal charge or died. And if they did that to you and you sought criminal protection, you got nothing, mm. nothing. And I think without that understanding, then of course it's great to see black institutions and black businesses and all that. But think about things like Tulsa, Oklahoma, where we had black wall street, up until white people decided they didn't want you to have Black Wall Street anymore, and they bombed it and burned it down. Think about Rosewood, Florida, where you had a black community until white people decided they didn't want you to have a black community anymore, and they burned it down, and nobody gets prosecuted, right? Right. Um, It's a slap on the wrist. So everything that people are, are understanding in today's context, I think more so comes from things that people stopped focus on, focusing on once integration took effect. Um, I think in, in segregation, a lot of black people stuck together because that was your survival mechanism. Oh, absolutely. If, if we are walking together as a group, it's going to be a lot more difficult for somebody to pick us off and do what they want to do. If we build together as a community or as a church or as an institution, it's going to be a lot harder for someone to dismantle it because we're all here. But with integration, people got options, right? So with integration, it's like, well, I don't necessarily have to live in this neighborhood. I don't have to go to this church. I don't have to do things. Integration is a great thing. It gives people opportunities to do other things, but we still have the responsibility of instilling into our children the importance of preserving those Black institutions. And I think that when we get to a point where we're not doing that, we can't necessarily blame integration for that. We got to blame our, our own parenting and our own abilities for not putting our kids back out there, making sure that they had the proper understanding of our history, what we came from, and all the things we had to do to get to where we are now. But I, you know, integration to me just opened up a world of opportunities for Black people that were un, that, that was unheard of before. Um, you wouldn't have 
Katherine Johnson working at NASA if there wasn't some degree of interest. Like you just don't have that. And granted, some people will say, well, so what? I mean, that's one person. But I've always known that for black people, when typically for those of us who are actually down and connected to the community, when one of us makes it, more than one of us is going to make it, right? So we're right. going to go back, open the door for 10 or 20 other people who are going to go on and become successful and hopefully come back and continue opening doors and cracking glass ceilings for everybody else. But part of it is somebody has to make it. The last thing I'll say is with, with segregation, I think that people often overlook the fact that we were still existing within a capitalist society. So the city I'm from, Durham, North Carolina, was host to a very influential black demographic that was pretty much economically affluent. They had a big national insurance company, big national black bank, all black owned. But what ended up happening is they were renting properties that was just as dilapidated as the ones white people were out to the black people who couldn't afford to do otherwise. So it's not that the problems came in when integration came. It's that the problem of capitalism has always been here where the poor person always ends with the, the short end of the stick. And what we did was exacerbated that by integrating into a society where capitalism essentially was law. So instead of you being middle class and entering American society as a middle class person, you enter American society essentially with a 300 year disadvantage trying to catch up and trying to seek opportunities from people who otherwise felt like integration was forced on them and they didn't want to give you those opportunities. And yet and still in 2019, here we are, right? Here we are. We're still doing great things. We have tons of opportunity. There are a lot of people out here who will be able to contribute and help guide you or wherever you're trying to go. Uh, And, and for me, the, the, tolerance level for any kind of excuse of not being able to make it is significantly reduced because even in my short time on this planet, I have seen doors open that previously would not have been open, but for the fact that some enterprising black person kicked that door open and left it open for the rest of us to get through. You know, and and that's one thing. It's interesting, though. I, I wonder... Um, and here's, here's what I mean by this. So, you know, I'm born in Compton. We move on up to Compton adjacent. All right. When I'm five or six years old and I'm, um, and, and, and I, you know, go to the local school for a while and, and then I'm bust out to, to, to the suburbs. But I'm, you know, I'm wondering if things would be different. Um, you know, if, if I come up today, I, and the reason I said it is, you know, I was saying before this Compton adjacent town I grew up in, there were doctors in our neighborhood and there were mm-hmm. uh, one of our neighbors and friends was a very, very successful uh, business owner. Uh, and, you know, th- I think if this had been 2000, we would have never met those people. They would have mm-hmm. left. They would have been in out in the suburbs. You know, this is the early seventies yeah. where it was technically legal in California, uh, to move out to Simi Valley, uh, but you wouldn't want to, uh, you want to move out to Simi Valley in 2019, right? Um, so certainly, you know, it was, and so the point I'm trying to make though is that you had a lot of people around who could look out for you and who had those opportunities had been the place. Now they might not have been the white schools, but they had, you know, if you wanted to be a doctor, you knew how that process happened. And I'm wondering with the stratification, you know, when, when the, the, the people with the you know the better jobs and the, the better educations were able to move out and and did if that left uh, a group of people who even if you had you know the, the the drive and the talent you wouldn't know how to get there absolutely because a lot, now don't get me wrong that's not the fault of like you said of integration that's the fault of those of us who benefited from it and I you know I've had those moments I'm sure you have too I live in a all lily white suburb. I remember at one point, uh, you know, getting convicted and hearing a sermon and, and calling my, my, my wife, Renee. And I said, baby, pack up the house. We, we move into the hood. Move into the ghetto. All right, get the stuff packed up. And I was on the road. She said, look, Sean, when you get home on Friday, uh, your stuff will be packed. I promise you. I've been meaning to pack your stuff for a while. Your stuff will be packed. Uh, I'm not moving to get to the hood. I'm like, baby, we got to be with our people. 
She's like, I am for my people. I'm from the Costco tribe. And my people have a Costco <laughs> and a Target. And I'm not going back to, you know, <laughs> to the hood and getting all my getting all my groceries, getting all my you know vegetables from, from the liquor store. All right. So uh, you know, we don't have and for a while we did. We went to church in the inner city, um, okay. which is, you know, sort of our compromise, right? And we thought that, you know, and don't get me wrong, very arrogantly, I'm thinking, you know, it'd be good if these people would be around me on a Sunday. They can't get me Monday through Friday, but on, on, on Sunday, they'd be around someone who's, you know, <laughs> making all the right decisions. And, and, you know, I'm thinking that way, right? And, and, yeah. and the bottom line is, though, is that, you know, it, it, with us, and I see it with my kids, and we talked about this earlier, where my kids don't have that feeling of community that, you know, that, that just you had being black, you know, and when we were coming up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and in a sense, I kind of feel like maybe there's a possibility that in your kids' minds, there's a trend transition of race and we want to ultimately be there. But the problem is we're constantly reminded on TV every day that we're not there yet. <laughs> uh, and, and so, you know, one, one of the things, and, and I love the fact that we, we do this podcast because of our different lifespans in different areas. Right. One of the things that I, I remember in growing up, I grew up in a place that was all black people, all poor people. Mm. And it wasn't the utopia that I mean, we had, we had a lot of, um, and I think, you know, I attribute a lot of that to outside influence. So for instance, I always tell people, uh, I remember when we had seniors in the community who cared about the kids and taught you how to ride bikes and gave you money if y'all were short on money or needed food or whatever the case may be. But I also remember what happened after crack was introduced to the community when it became dog eat dog, everybody's going to steal from you. Everybody's trying to take advantage of you and you develop, you, your mind converts and perverts itself into becoming a monster to survive the, the situation that you're in. And it took years to change that mentality. So that, that's why for me, when I listen to a Jay-Z, I can relate to the things that he is talking about because I think that's how you navigate and it takes you a long time to realize that everybody is not in fact after you or trying to take advantage of you. And See, part of that, that, that might be a difference. We're only 10 years apart, but I think that mm-hmm. might be, you know, a critical 10 year part. I'm coming up a little bit before crack. Okay. And I always tell people, you know, I didn't grow up in the hood. I grew up in a neighborhood, right? And I couldn't right. have got to a crack house if I wanted to. Because Miss Wesley mm-hmm. would have whooped my butt, or or, 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 or Mr. Holmes, and, and you know these people. By the way, you know I'm, I, you know I, that, that I'm still, you know that, that I'm still friends with on Facebook today. That still mm-hmm. might whoop me if they kept me doing something, right? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> you know, they, you know, I ain't too old to get whooping, right? And it's yeah. like you know that that type of. But remember, you know, we were fortunate. It was before the crack scourge, and my community, that community particularly, wasn't hit as hard because it was a little, you know, these people were were a little more stable, a little more upper class, right? Than you know, than than, than people who, who really got hit hard by it. So you know. I have these rose colored view, right, of black community because yeah. it was that thing. I understand that, you know, it isn't that way for everybody. So sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm looking back at, at this wonder year and you're like, what, what are you talking about? You know, somebody stole my bike. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Who's pit, do- pit bull is this? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> stuff, what I can say is I have always had once I've shown some degree of interest mm-hmm. in wanting to do right, right, I've always been able to connect with somebody who had preceded me also black, who recognized mm-hmm. the struggle that I was in and who would look out for me. And I think that is a legacy of blackness in America. Um, I think that we are, I, I hope at least that we are continuing that legacy of looking out. So even when you look back during slavery, somebody takes your kids, sells them to another state. Kids end up at a new plantation. 
those slaves are going to step up and take care of those kids. They're going to train those kids, protect those kids to the best of their ability because that's our survival mechanism. To to this day, we're talking about uh, earlier when when two black men who don't know each other pass each other in the street, there's going to be a head nod. (laughs) And it's just a universal acceptance that we are both here. We both exist in this space. There is a connection here. Um, And I think it's one of those... Are we losing that? that? Are we losing that? I mean, I think we're losing it, but I don't think it's integration's fault we're losing it. I think we're losing that because to a certain extent, people stop focusing on community and start well, caring true. about money. Well, that, that's so, right. I got to tell you, I got the same experience you have. You know, I mm-hmm. was in, you know, this Compton Jason Black public school. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's fairly, you know, not, not the best public school and a black teacher you know, recognized something in me and started putting me, you know, and said, hey, there's a magnet program. You want to go to, you know, X suburb. And this is how, you know, talk to my parents and with some of my friends. So we have a support group and said, hey, you guys need to go here. And it was a black right. teacher, right, who, you know, was, right. you know, in, in charge of the gifted program. And I, you know, I had a thought the other day that I'm not sure that that, that, that black kids before a certain age it, you know, if you should be taught by at least one black teacher, probably, probably all, you right. know, we're seeing it time and time again with young kids because, you know, they track kids pretty early. And by the time you are 10, 11, 12, you know, your future has been pretty much set out for you. Right. Some kids are going to go into the good school, the good classes, and, and, and the other kids are going to be in detention. And so-and-so has been labeled as a troublemaker. You know, the number of African-American kids who are, um, you know, uh, labeled as mislabeled as, as, as quote unquote slow or intellectually, um, deficient or otherwise have behavioral problems is huge because the things that we see, and we started with talking about the little smug white boy, the things that we see in little black boys are the same things we'd see in little white boys, but they look different. Because of, of, of blackness. And so I think in that sense, you know, it really is, unless you have students that are teachers that are well, well trained to not sort of see pathology in blackness, you know, mm-hmm. we do sort of, I think, you know, put our kids at a little bit of risk, unless there's some black teachers going to watch out for them. And you and I both talked about this. We have sons who are in schools where there's, you know, your, your, your kid has a black principal. And by the way, tell me about mm-hmm. this because this is, this is real, real black. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, shout out to uh, Siobhan Williams, so my, my son's principal. Uh, when I first got there, I was looking around and, you know, the community that I uh, live in currently is mostly Indian. Uh, and so it was interesting. I wanted to go to school, kind of get the lay of the land. And I realized you mean Asian Indian, right? Right. Asian Indian, right, not right, Native right, American. Right. 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 So I, I go to the school and sure enough, there's a sister working in the front office. So I introduced myself. She says, you know, I say, hey, are you, are you Principal Williams? She's like, oh, no, well, I'm Siobhan. And sure enough, she's like, C-H-E dash V-O-N. And I knew we were good for now. <laughs> like, you know, I gave her permission to beat my kid. <laughs> we, have, uh, <laughs> we have an understanding, right? Um, and, and so I, and I definitely know that she goes out of her way to make sure that she, uh, acknowledges him. She's put him on school radio, uh, or not radio, but the PA system, giving him shout outs on that. And I appreciate stuff like that because I think kids need to feel special. And I think oftentimes it's the black kids who are neglected, uh, in, in the school system. And I'm glad that she recognizes that. No, no, uh, so I, I, and I think that's, that's a great thing. You know, my son had the same thing, but here's the thing about it is, is that he didn't even, and maybe I didn't know at that age either. I think maybe I guess as I got older, I started to understand all this blackness and maybe it's at 10, I wouldn't have thought, Oh, that teacher's black. So they're looking out for me. But mm-hmm. I've had the same thing because so my, my son goes to a prep school, most, mostly white. And, um, we you know, we go to parent teacher. Uh, night and he has one black teacher and you know and this is his, his math teacher and I see him afterwards said Brendan why didn't you tell me you have a black teacher and he looked at me like why like why would I tell you if she was left handed like why would that matter at all and I'm like she's looking out for you and he's like no really I'm like yeah really he's like I'm not even that black I'm like I know but you know you're black enough damn it um, <laughs> because he, he, he judged himself by color 
So he's like, right. I'm barely black. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm light skinned, right? Uh, I I got good hair. I got Indian in my family, right? He 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 not even claiming us. And so he's thinking, you know, that the Latino <laughs> kids are blacker than he is because you know they may be darker. And I'm like, no, no, no. She's got you know, looking out for you. And he's like, you know, almost like, why would she? Like, because that's how we do, that's right? What right, right, right. Maybe you're right. The fact that he doesn't realize it now. I probably didn't recognize it then, but he'll recognize it when he gets older and be like, okay, that's what I got to do. Cause that's my fear is that we're not going to teach the next generation that they need to do that. Um, that right. it's important for them to understand that, you know, we have a connection with each other because I don't want us to, um, graduate to whiteness like so many other groups do. And this mm-hmm. is the funny thing, Jesse, is that, you know, just in the 10 years that we're different, you probably don't remember this, but I remember as a kid that Polish people were, were were not fully white at the time. When I grew up in the seventies, there were jokes, of Polish jokes, mm-hmm. and, and and they were considered to be you know the the dumbest of the white people. They were basically you know the lowest of of, of white people. Um, they've graduated uh, since then, um, but to graduate to full whiteness in America, what you usually have to do is leave behind most of your culture and your identification. Mm-hmm. You know, you gotta, you know, to be, a, to be, a, you can be an Italian American, um, uh, you can be, I'm sorry, you can be Italian and be, you know, all the, you know, the, 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 the pejorative terms. But if you want to be an Italian American, a real, or, or, or American, unhyphenated American, uh, you're going to have to start eating at Olive Garden. You're going to have to give up some real Italian food. <laughs> you know, if you want to be Polish, you can, you can be white, white, but you're going to have to give up the sauce. You're going to have to give up the kibasa and the polka music. You you can't come out here with that. You're going to have to start listening to Led Zeppelin and eating, eating DLTs just like the rest of us. All right? We're not going for that. Um, and, and, and I think for us, it's like, you know, as we integrate, it's great, but I want us to keep – that nod. I want us to keep the black talk alive. Um, yeah. You know that that thing where you know I talked about before, where if you know you run into some brother, you know about your age in a plane, you can start talking, and you have pretty good chance that you can have some things in common, some common things. You can you can always sort of slip into black talk, right? Absolutely, absolutely. It's very easy to do. Very easy to do. <laughs> I don't know. I got to tell you, I got a twenty four year old. I'm a little worried about him. Uh, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to take him to black school. Um, <laughs> and I don't mean <laughs> uh, HBCU. I mean, I mean, literally, you know, Willie's School of Blackness. <laughs> well, you know, and I'll tell you, it's interesting to me because at this point in life, I've seen black people in so many different facets of society. So now I feel like. I'm able to transcend into different arenas and have communications. But at the very heart of everything, in the back of my mind, I still feel like I'm that kid living in a poor, low-income area. That's what I feel like. And I feel like it's just a matter of time before everybody says, surprise, we figured out (laughs) where you are, and we take you back. So for me, you're always looking, even in the most professional of settings, you're always looking for that one person who understands, like, who really gets it. That right. one black person who's like, oh, yeah, I've been there. Right? right. And it's hard. You have a buffer period where you're, you know, you do the nod and you're looking for the nod to be received back. Or they may approach you with a handshake. And you were going for a dap. And it, <laughs> and it just doesn't look right. There's a mix up in the communication. You know? So so uh, you're, you're always trying to look for it. But, you know, I get my immediate refill because I go to the barbershop okay. quite often. You got the barbershop. So, you know, yeah, when I go to the barbershop, like, people don't care about what degrees I got on the wall, what I'm driving, whatever. I don't go get picked on just like everybody else. <laughs> and, then, and I feel like I'm back at home. That's what I've been missing. I, I had a stylist. Um, okay. and, and, and that's just wrong. Um, on a number of occasions. <laughs> One, because I don't have style. I didn't have enough stylist hair. But now I got afro. I'm going to the okay. barbershop. I'm going to have to, but the only problem with the barbershop is I'm going to have to invest some time in the barbershop. Barbershop's not 20 you minutes. Uh, you're going to have to invest some time. And, 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 and uh, you're going to have to give them a, a morning on a Saturday. Uh, but, you know, I, 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 got, I got time. And so I'm going to go in there and, and, uh, and, and get some of that black. Let me take, 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 take my boy with me and let him see. Like, for instance, I'm afraid I realize that my sons, uh, I'm a horrible father. I'm not sure they even know how to play spades. 
When I start coming tomorrow for the office, I'm be like, look, boy, um, what do you think of when I say I got three in a possible? <laughs> and oh, I bet you ain't gonna talk Pokemon stuff. That's it. I gotta get a new song. I wonder if we can do some exchange. Maybe I can exchange, <laughs> you know, Cuban kid or somebody. Because I've done this wrong now. He's too old now. But well, just, just so we can make brackish, right? Just where. Just so we can, um... Oh, go ahead. Remember the episode of Blackish with a nod, and then yeah. the son had no idea, right, what the nod was. Uh, right. Hopefully, my son at least has appreciation for 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 a nice butt. Hopefully, that's at least I, I at least got that into him. I, mean, I think I got well, I think I got that part into him. I, I want to make sure that we haven't lost the white community of listeners that we have. <laughs> uh, Spades is a card game frequently played <laughs> by the black community. Frequently uh, involved. I got, a, I got, I got a deck of cards in my back pocket right now. All right, Just like, I'm looking wallet. I keep a deck of cards. The jury is out on whether there are two or four actual jokers. Is <laughs> no, I got to mark the big and little because no some of y'all got some weird rules with the big and little. We want to switch up the big, the big one, the little one. No, no, you know the big one's the one that's the big one. That's the big joker. <laughs> Where somehow the two of spades means more than the ace of spades. <laughs> oh no! Now, now you 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 playing some old voodoo New Orleans stuff there? No, I don't want to hear that. The point is though, is that is you know these cultural things. And think about it. This thing is Jesse and I raised different parts of the country, ten years apart. And that is ubiquitous to both of them. You know, there's no difference. Right. We know all, all of that. We, we don't have to rehearse that. That, that, that. That's what I mean where I hope we keep some level of culture where we don't have to give it up and all be listening to Hootie and the Blowfish or whatever Darius Rucker is, is doing now. Right. I don't want it to all of us, you know, to be listening to, to Green Day and uh, Blink-182. Right. <laughs> right. Well, you know, and, and I think that we also want to look at the other side of uh, segregation as well. So we talked about the opportunities that people got to go beyond the black community and to pretty much put their dollar in other communities for other goods. But we also need to talk about black owned businesses and industries in our communities and the issue that we often have with not having sufficient quantity to serve the people who are going to be frequenting your establishment white people you're gonna have to just you you tune it down don't don't listen for the next <laughs> four minutes because uh, you're gonna hear some stuff that you probably shouldn't hear but we're gonna go ahead and say it anyway um <laughs> yeah and what jesse's trying to say nicely is if you own a chicken shack and you don't have no chicken um, you let us all down, right? And, and I'm gonna go over to Popeyes, and I know they own. I know that black lady in the commercial own them, but I'm gonna still go to Popeyes <laughs> because they have chicken in a chicken place on a Saturday. Now I understand if you have some fries, you maybe ran out of you know soy sauce packet or you know or hot sauce packets, or that's that's wrong too. But I'm gonna give you that. All right, I, I can't bring my own. I'll bring my own hot sauce. I don't worry about that. But you need to have <laughs> thing if you got a barbecue place. Have some damn ribs. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't have me come in there talking about oh, come back at four. Um for, 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 for <laughs> if you have right. a hotel, hypothetically, um in say Atlanta, and uh I get there hypothetically at say, you know, ten thirty, eleven thirty at night, and um the the lights in my room don't work uh, because um, I don't know the light bulbs uh, are out. Wow. <laughs> uh, don't tell me that I'm gonna sit in the sit in the dark all night until engineering come by in the morning. No, no, no. You gonna have right. to get up and go to room two eighty five because you know ain't nobody in the hotel but me anyway. And go get that light bulb. <laughs> and, <laughs> or, or you yeah. might have to look at me in store and get me some light bulb. The point of the matter is, is that you know I want to spend my dollars black. I really do, but Absolutely. but I can't buy chicken that you don't have. Absolutely. And you know, with black people, we get a taste or a hankering for something, mm. and it's just hard to take. If I get if I get a taste for ribs, I'm not coming back to the house with fish. Like I just need ribs. Right? <laughs> and, and, exactly. And 
50 years ago, I would have given it to you. I understand the white man had sold out all the reels first, right? And so you all you got there, there was only fishing, you know, and uh, and rib tips by the time you got there. I got that. All right. But 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 now in 2018, you should be able to give me something with a bone. All right. Um, and, you know, and, and it's just a matter of, you know, we all need to do our parts. And part of that, though, I think is this. And we talked about this earlier is the expectation that at least when, I mean, when we were coming up, which is that, you know, if you're black, you got to do it two and three times better than anybody else. And I think Absolutely. one of the things we leave out on that is that applies when you serve in black people, too. Especially. <laughs> Straight. You know, you know, I, 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 I slap my hand. I, I'm corrected. You absolutely right. I have been corrected, especially when you serve at us. And I think sometimes we tend to think, oh no, 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 you know, black people accept this. So I just, you know, I, but but when I'm a serve white, you know, I'm gonna make sure. No, no, no. Especially with us. And here's why: not just because we deserve good service like anybody else, but our kids are watching. Right. My kids are watching this, all right? So if I go to, especially I go to, from leave from the suburbs, go to the hood to your place, this is the only black people they get to see. I need them to have a good example, right? And so it's, it's more important that, you know, we serve each other well than even other people so that our kids can get that idea of excellence and they can think they can do, and they need to do two or three times better. You know, Jess and I both, I think, agree on this point. The greatest gift of blackness that, that was given, to, at least to me, was the idea that I'm supposed to do it two and three times better than, than the other person, you know, and I don't always do that, but if I do half of that, I'm going to be all right. Right. And, and the idea is that, you know, it, it, it just good enough was, was, was never the standard that, um, you know, applied to me. You, you told me a long time ago, yesterday when you first went to, to FAMU, how you know their standards were off the chart absolutely so so the professors are going to grade your papers harshly i had a professor vivian l hobbs will never forget love dr hobbs uh she would literally pull a trash can up when she (laughs) is going through your term paper and by the time she got to the third mistake it was trash and you just got an f (laughs) and i'm talking about punctuation syntax uh, subject verb agreement. So the one thing I knew when I graduated from Florida A&M, if I don't know how to do anything else, I know how to write a damn paper. Right. <laughs> and and so what I'll say is this. I've, I've seen both sides because when I was in high school, being wayward, I had a teacher who took interest in me and the teacher pulled me to the side and he gave me a maxim that stuck with me for the rest of my life. He said, the easiest thing it is to be in America is a black man. Because nobody expects anything to good, good to come from you. He also said the hardest thing to be in America is a black man because nobody expects anything good to come from you. Right? And so the whole point after that was for me to say, no, I want to be better. I want to do better. Right. I'm going to, you know, set higher standards. I'm not just going to try to be an average C student getting by. I want to try to pursue some degree of excellence in whatever it is that I'm going to do. Absolutely. Um, and and I think, you know, HBCUs infuse that. And anybody who listens to the show, you know, I am a double HBCU graduate. <laughs> Not necessarily by design. That's kind of right. <laughs> I'm a double HBCU graduate. And it seemed like every time I got accepted to a school, they did everything they could to make me feel like I wasn't supposed to be in this school. Um, and then followed it up with love. So <laughs> that's like, Wow. Um, and they helped me get along and I've got networks and connections with both of those institutions that I carry to this day. Uh, and I feel like that is what people think about when they make these statements about, oh, well, segregation was so much better. It's not the segregation. It was the nurturing from your institutions mm-hmm. and from your establishments and the reliance that you could go in. And even if this person getting ready to close up shop, they still will make a hot plate for you, right? Because they valued your dollar. And what happens now when we, you know, laugh and joke about uh, insufficient quantities, the problem now is we have so few Black-owned businesses. And I've seen this on both sides. I've been an entrepreneur who couldn't get people to come through because it was Black-owned, and I've been a, a, a patron. And what you see is so many people pass so many 
competitors of yours to come to your store. So if you sell hamburgers and you are a black owned business, people have passed literally four (laughs) McDonald's to get to your establishment. So to not have hamburgers, it's wasted gas money. It just made somebody upset. You know what I'm saying? And now, you know, they're like, why did I pass up these four McDonald's that were sitting here begging for me to come in here and just get food? All I wanted was a burger. Likewise, as the entrepreneur, the hardest thing is when you have a solid quality product and you put it out for the community to consume and the community doesn't want to pay you full price for the product because they feel like they black. So you're supposed to get them a hookup or a discount. And you're like, well, no, I gave me a hookup or discount on the money. It took me to build it. So, uh, <laughs> so you know, it, there's, there's a circle here about supporting our own industries which we should really do anyway. We should be supporting our own, but we got comfortable with having options. And having options is not a bad thing. It means that people have to embrace the spirit of competition that inherently flows in a capitalist system until Russia takes over and we become, you know, socialists. <laughs> <laughs> well, will they hurry up and do that? <laughs> Speaking of which, and I guess we'll end on this note because I do got to give it up to the OG, Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> Today, this is what the 23rd of January, 2019, Nancy, and I got to tell you, Nancy, I you know what? I, I, I owe you. I owe you big, big apologies. I, I, I respect, girl. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I didn't. I didn't know. I just didn't know. All right. But now I better recognize. I recognize now. But I didn't know, Nancy. I, last week she came in there like, well, I suggest, Mr. President, that maybe you shouldn't kind of maybe think about rescheduling the maybe kind of maybe the state the State of the Union address. And then Trump came back with some old ignorant, well, since you just suggested I'm going to come on up in here, have my grits hot, woman. Right? He came in there just ignorant. And Nancy came back with like, "Um, what you not going to do? I thought she was going to do that. I thought she, I bet you when she was writing that, she had her neck going. What you not going to do is come (laughs) up in my my house for the State of the Union. You need to keep you and Melania and that stupid ass boy Baron up at the White House. All right. But what you're not going to do is come up in here. All right. Yeah. I think Nancy was so cold on that. And I've been, I've been asking about this. We need to do a poll. I think that Nancy she, she, Pelosi should get to wear cornrows throughout the month of February. <laughs> Black History Month, Nancy, Nancy Pelosi deserved her cornrows because uh, she kept it real. I, 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 she kept yeah. it real. Oh, man. Well, you know, b- between her and um, the five million tweets a day I get from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, <laughs> uh, I've been highly entertained. <laughs> I think we're on the verge of greatness. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe Corey will announce next week, so maybe we'll hold it till next week. But by the way, I've been kind of surprised. There hadn't been the great groundswell of, you know, at least Facebook and internet love for uh, Sister uh, Kamala Harris that I thought would have been the case. Oh, I mean, if that was Michelle Obama, all right, I can tell you what, school would have been closed today. No black person right, right. would have been school today. <laughs> Michelle Obama decided to run for president day. That'd be a damn national holiday, all right? Right. I, I have never seen the levels of criticism, and not just not just criticism, because there are people criticizing her record, and if you want to do that, I still think it's too premature and too early to do it, but, you know, that's fine. But, I mean, the first 30 seconds after she announced, on MLK Day of all times, I'm seeing articles that people are tagging me in about her illicit uh, relationships before and all this stuff, and I'm like, look, y'all didn't do this when Kirsten Gillibrand declared, y'all didn't do this when Julian Castro declare, but people don't want to recognize that this is exactly the patriarchal and sexist racist system that we've been complaining about forever. Like you finally get, and, this, and some of these people are black, so that's why I'm really. Well, that's the thing that's me. The people who've come hardest for, for 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 Kamala, at least on my feed, have been sisters. 
you know, and by the way, and I don't mean you know, woke sisters. All right, sisters, you know that 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 that, that I, I I think got got big old bags in their eyes. They ain't been asleep since like 2012, right? These sisters woke, woke sisters. It ain't like socks. and you know, down for the cause, want the community, and you know, I heard you know she popo, she five o. Right, she five out, and it's like, yeah, I get it, and you know, but I'm thinking the same thing. You know, Corey's out there on the cusp. It looks like he's running, and people when Corey runs, they'd be like, "Oh, who's Corey? Hmm, is is he is he related to Corey Hames from the '80s movie? Like, you know, like <laughs> you think that he'd be like Obama Jr. Right? We'd be happy for another black man." Um, and it's weird because we loved Obama, but I think Corey gonna have to change his name to something African. I think that's what's gonna happen. He can't well, go in there as know. Cory Booker. He's going to have to go in there as Umfufu, you know, Matasa. <laughs> well, this, this is the thing I've been trying to encourage people to do. You know, I take the Aaron Rodgers pr- approach. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. <laughs> it, the, the elections are not till 2020, right? This is January of 2019. Half of the people who are declaring right now, this is very premature stage. They haven't right. gone through any caucus yet. They haven't gone through really presidential campaign training school yet. Mm-hmm. So it's very different. And even with Senator Harris, people are like, well, you know, she's got a record now. She's she's obviously going to be on the ballot. I'm thinking to myself, she's a senator. Her campaign was regional. This is the president of the United States, which means that she's going to have to go through Mississippi, mm-hmm. Alabama, uh, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, Ohio, Idaho, Montana. These are not places where she's going to be received very well. And they're going to probably send exploratory committee members out to put out feelers to see what people think and if she's viable. And so all the people who are saying, oh, yes, you know, like it's just great she's running or even, oh, no, I hate she's running. Relax. Let's let the process happen and see who ends up actually being on the podium when we get closer to the caucuses and primary time. Well, um, I, I, I think people, you're actually right. Go ahead. And, and I think the other thing is people are concerned about Democratic vote splitting, and it makes me, you know, kind of shiver a little because I'm like, well, you know, you guys do realize how the process works, right? Like, there's there, anybody who wants to run for president, if they have the money and they put in the application, right. they can go run for president, and that's their right. And I... First of all, for Kamala Harris, I will always throw a huge black fist in the air for any black person who is bold enough to take on this kind of venture, period. I don't care what your background is. And I do this even for black Republicans that I know I'm not going to vote for. Because I feel like to be a black person running, particularly in the Republican Party, you really got to be bold if you're going through Mississippi and Alabama, or you got to be a super sellout supreme. I agree. And I got to tell you, you know, I, I agree with you 100%. There, it is too early to rule out anybody, even the ex-homophobic Hawaiian woman. I'm like, you know what? I'm not even ruling you out yet, although you, you should have known better. But I'm not ruling you out yet. And here's why. Because when it comes down to the end of the day, I'm not going to be a never harasser or never, right, um, yeah. you know, booker. Because if they get nominated, I'm voting. For for, right. for for Kamala. I'm voting for Kamala Harris. I'm voting for Robin Harris, and he did. Um, <laughs> Cory Booker, Cory Feldman, right from the movies with the Goonies. Cory Feldman <laughs> went to Michael Jackson's funeral. That's black enough for me. All right, I'm, <laughs> I'm voting for anybody who even has has seen any of the barbershop movies. All right, I'm I'm not voting for Trump. So I can't. We can't be in a position where I've now put myself in a position where you know I I, I said I'd never support. So and so, I will vote for 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 Bernie Sanders, Colonel Sanders, right? It don't matter, (laughs) Deion Sanders. All right, Right, you know I don't care. And so, like you said, you know it's too early. Let's just let the process, you know. I think next week though we will be able to have more people in it and be able to talk. Maybe when we get to about twenty-two people, I think when we can let them, you know, square off in a in a in a in a, in a, in a football field, I think maybe we'll be able to narrow it down some. Somebody and, gonna and tear ACL or something. <laughs> let me just add this too, because um, I had a conversation about this on social media today. Uh, if you're waiting for the perfect presidential candidate, 
Michelle Obama has already said she's not running. So, so <laughs> uh, I don't I don't think anybody's going to be perfect. And you have to understand that people had jobs prior to wanting to be your president. So Thank you. if your job happened to be a district attorney in an era where now we're focused on criminal justice reform and they weren't a reformer, you may feel some type of way about that. And that is your right. That's fine. But understand that it is not a prosecutor's job to let people off. <laughs> off. <laughs> it's not your job. And furthermore, there are victims who are also black. So we need to be cognizant that there are two sides to this story. I really say it's no point for me. I'm not going to be researching at least until September of this year because I don't even know. I don't want to waste time and energy learning all the good and bad about this person until I know for a fact that they're actually going to go through with all of this. And I don't think people understand the pressure that comes with running for president when you got Katie Couric and and uh, Anderson Cooper and Don <laughs> Lemon, Oprah Winfrey, all the best of the best, Barbara Walters, all up in your stuff, right? <laughs> and if you got anything in there that looks bad, with the exception of Donald Trump, if you got anything in there that looks bad, it's going to be all over the tabloids, all over the news. And that's going to make some people, not just them, but their family say, I really didn't want this information getting out. Uh, I don't know if I can ride out with you on this. And people are going to drop off. So we don't know who yet. And right now I'm just a little interested. I, I, I'm happy that we have such a diverse group of people who are interested. I hear Eric Holder is considering. Really? Um, you know, I hear, I hear he's thinking about it. Um, Joe Biden is making very good statements to the black community here recently about white people wanting to acknowledge, uh, needing to acknowledge the problems that they cause for black people. Uh, I think that's not going to make him popular with the white population. But, <laughs> I, but, I, know, I tell you what Joe Biden is going to need to show me. I don't need to see his Black Lives Matter membership card. Here's why I need to see him. him. I, I need to see uh, an EKG. <laughs> Joe Biden is 235 years old now. All right, he ain't even started running for president yet. All right, I'm not being ageist. You can you can be 248. There ain't nothing in the Constitution that says you can. But I need to see some medical records. All right, I need to see you know some family history. I need to see something because uh, cause Joe is. I think about it, Joe. I I, I can look it up here, but I think Joe. <laughs> uh, I think Joe Biden is what he's got to be 70 now. Um, mm-hmm. I, I see it here. The man was born in 42. So he is 77 now. Right. He'd be 78 when he hits the office. Uh, Obama was like 42. Right. Um, I don't, I think, I guess I could take down the basketball court. I know that. <laughs> and the same applies to Bernie Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> You know. it's, it's like now, now going wrong. If if Joe get the, you know, I would vote for Joe's grandfather. Right? It don't Absolutely. matter. You know, if, if, if Joe get the nomination, but but um, but we might, and you know, what, I know it wrong. It's not even a matter of you know his his thinking being old. I just think that that's a hard job to do. You know, you know what that job did to Clinton? Clinton came in there, right, eating burgers and fries. Right, having a yep. good old time, you know, going out and you know having a little something, something every once in a while, or, or yep. quite often. And and uh, by the time he got that, that job, eight years later, his hair was all gray. He was having two, three heart attacks a month, you know. And he had stopped eating McDonald's. It's like that yep. job is. You saw what happened yep. to Obama, right? Yep. Obama yep. Came, went, in, went in there, you know, and, and he, you know, he looked like well, I guess when when, when he went in, uh, like a young Will Smith, right. Uh, and and came out look, looking like Morgan Freeman. Well, I was saying, you know, for Bill, Bill Clinton. I mean, Obama at least had black, and black didn't have to crack. <laughs> Bill Clinton, that job literally sucked him dry. Thank you. <laughs> 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 now you know it took the, it was a family show until that point. People, I'm sorry. I apologize for for for, for Jesse. One thing I want to make sure we we do do. We want to give a special uh, shout out to our girl Christina Monson. Um, uh, she, 
Christina's been 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 fighting like a trooper uh, cancer. I got a post the other day. She gave me you know last night gave us a farewell post. And I, you know I, I think it's the end. And I, I called her and, and talked to her this morning. And, and Christina, uh, you, you you tricked me because you're still out there. And I'm glad about it. I'm glad you tricked me. Um, but but as right. I talked to Christina before we started, still going strong. But we love you, girl. I'm glad you're you're here. You you're the president of the fan club. Uh, you actually the only member of the fan club, so you you everything, <laughs> girl. Really does. Hey, one one uh one Facebook message from you gives us the motivation to keep on going because we know that we have a good quality product that somebody's listening to. So we hope. For the best for you, we send out our love and prayers to you. And uh, thank you. Thank you for always checking in on Absolutely. me. Especially when I was going through some real depressing stuff. Uh, thank, <laughs> thank you for, for checking in. We really appreciate it. And for everybody else, in case you aren't already subscribed and you're still living under a rock, mm-hmm. Brothers in Law, that's B-R-U-T-H-A-S-N, Law, L-A-W, on uh, all social media, and especially on Facebook because we're active. And uh, definitely subscribe to us on iTunes. I know we got a few new listeners this week because I had about 10 people at a CLE I was at last week. Oh, really? And heard about the program and started adding it. And they showed me on their phone that it's subscribed. So this <laughs> episode is going to pop up on your phone like magic. And uh, welcome to the team. You've got 22 episodes prior to this to binge listen and catch up. And uh, enjoy. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody, thanks so much, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>